0: Well, good morning, RCC. Hey, I want to welcome all of you at all of our churches this morning. And if this is your first time with us, or you're like, I'm not really a Christ follower, and you're trying to figure out this whole faith thing out, or maybe a friend has invited you to be with them today, or somebody promised you lunch afterwards, we're so glad that you're here at all of our churches. And as we've said, as we began this conversation a few weeks ago, called Follow. Here's the thing, if you're not a Christ follower, this sermon series may convince you you don't want to be one. And I know that sounds really weird coming from a church pastor, but we think it's really important that you understand what it really means to follow Jesus so that you know what you're rejecting. And and we feel like it's important for you also to understand what those of us who do follow Jesus, how we really should live, even though we don't get it right all the time. Because what we're talking about in this series entitled Follow, it is very challenging. But I do want you to know that you're sitting around a group of Christ followers who really do want to get this right. It's why we're having this conversation. So if you're kind of new to the conversation, the big idea that we're building this five-week series on is this. Salvation is free. It costs me nothing. Following Jesus will cost me something. And this really is a true statement. Like the opportunity to be forgiven, salvation is free, it cost me nothing. I mean, that's just absolutely amazing when you think about it. To be forgiven, to spend eternity with God in heaven, to be part of God's family for anyone who wants to embrace that. I mean, when you really think about this, that is a very remarkable, amazing kind of thing. But once you make the choice to follow, Jesus is very clear with us that following him will cost me something. Now, many of you know this, but I grew up in a Christian home. And as a young child, I I remember probably six, seven years of age because just, I mean, it's plain as day to me. I knelt beside my mom and dad's bed and I made the choice to begin following Jesus. I prayed a prayer and said, Jesus, I ask you to come to my heart, forgive me my sin. And my mom and dad had told me, but it's not just about sin forgiveness, it's also about following Jesus from this point on. But here's the thing, when I prayed that prayer and I asked Jesus, forgive me my sin and, and I committed to following Jesus, I didn't pray that prayer for selfless reasons. I did it for one primary reason. What was the primary reason a seven-year-old boy would pray that prayer? Because I didn't want to end up where? In hell. That's right. I mean, because I had heard a couple sermons on hell. And you know what? When I was old enough to understand that all I had to do was ask Jesus to be my savior, and I would miss hell, and I would make heaven— Like I was all into that because see, I was a much smarter kid than I was a good kid. Like, so I was smart enough to know that I wasn't good enough to get into heaven. I had done already some bad things in my mind, you know, as like a seven-year-old kid. Now here's the thing, when you think about that, I I don't know that that was a bad thing. I don't think like God was in heaven thinking something like, oh man, that kid down there, he just found a loophole in my salvation system. You know, he just kind of worked the whole salvation system. But, but here's the reality. My decision to follow Jesus was prime, primarily driven with like selfish motives. Now, here's the thing. W- whether you chose to follow Jesus when you were a kid like me, or maybe you chose to follow Jesus when you were a student. Or, or maybe you chose to follow Jesus when you become adult. Here's what I believe just because of all the conversations I've had over the last 20-something years of being a pastor. And that is this. I think it is true for most of us. But most of us come into faith. Most of us choose to follow Jesus as a Jesus consumer. See, we want forgiveness forgiveness. We, we want to be able to avoid regrets. We, we believe, or somebody tells us, and it, it really is true, that following Jesus will make our lives better and make us better at life. And so we want to be a better person. We want to be a better parent. We want to be a better son or a daughter, a better friend, a teacher, a coach, a boss. Like We want in because we believe it is going to make our lives better. And because following Jesus, you know, we believe that will make our lives better, we, we love that perk. We love that payoff. So we're always looking forward to the payoff. We're always looking forward to the reward for our, our relationships to get better, for our marriages to be stronger, for life to be smoother. But then Jesus comes along. And he invites us to follow and we accept that invitation as a, as a consumer. But then as he invites us to take some more steps with him, all of a sudden it begins to cost us something. Something that will be painful. Something that will force us to deny ourselves. Something that will cause us to put others first in front of ourselves. Something that's going to cause us to die to self. And, and we become tempted to stop following or we go, we try to make a bargain with God and say, well, God, if, if I do this, what's the payoff if I take this step? I think we all struggle with that tension. Now, here's the really good news for us. If you struggle with that tension, don't feel like you're a bad person because Jesus' first followers, they started off this way too. Like one time Jesus was talking to all his disciples, he, he was telling them, he says, you know, it's going to be really difficult for people to deny themselves and follow me. Jesus is telling disciples that. And, and Peter starts thinking about the fact that, hey, I left this good income with my fishing business that my dad was probably going to hand to me. And I left that, and even though it felt like a promotion because, you know, the disciples are getting to follow a rabbi, and so that's kind of a elite status in their culture, it's still, he's going, I gave up a lot. And so Peter, you know, just like Peter does, he just pipes up and he says this in Matthew 19, 17, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Literally, Jesus, we've made some sacrifices to follow you. Like, how is this going to help us? How is this going to pay off for us? This is such a Jesus consumer mindset. And what has happened in this moment is Peter has fallen into something that all of us struggle with. And because we're Jesus consumers, we have this thing called a shadow mission when it comes to following Jesus. See, it's kind of the mindset of I'll follow because I think it will get, it'll be the right, it'll lead to the right end. The payoff in the end will be right. It'll give me where I want to go. But, but here's what's interesting. When you look at Peter's life while he started off having a shadow mission to follow Jesus, like, like what's going to be in it for me? There's, this has got to be something for me. Peter and the other disciples, when you look at the end of their lives, they all died martyrs' deaths. And this is so important. They they didn't die because they refused to deny what they believed, they died because they refused to deny what they had seen and heard. They saw something so powerful. They saw Jesus die, they saw him rise again, And, and it was through that experience. And it was through that experience that they realized that Jesus really was who he said he was and that he had all all power over everything. And they surrendered their lives to God at a level they had never surrendered their lives to God before and saying, God, we will truly follow you, not our will, but your will be done. And so they're no longer consumers anymore. See the resurrection, it changed that fact. But here's what's really fascinating about this. One of those 12 disciples that Jesus chose, He he never made that shift from a Jesus consumer follower to a surrendered follower. There, There was one disciple who remained a Jesus consumer until he felt that following Jesus wouldn't benefit him anymore. His name was Judas. Now, I want you to think about this. Judas experienced all the things the other disciples experienced with Jesus. He saw all the other things that the other disciples saw with Jesus. He heard all the same teachings the other disciples heard from Jesus. And like the rest of the disciples, he believed the same thing about Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one that the Jewish people had had been looking for, the one that was going to come and overthrow the occupying Roman Soldiers and government. See, in those days, the Jewish people, they literally believed that if the Messiah stepped on the scene, that it would be to set up his kingdom right then, right there. So these 12 disciples, they're thinking, listen, if Jesus is the one and we think he is, then he's going to move into power soon. And when he does, not only will Roman, the Roman government be overthrown, but as his closest followers, we're going to be ruling right alongside of him. Like he's going to, he's going to be worth following because there's going to be a huge payoff for us if we follow Jesus. So for Judas, don't miss this. Jesus was always a means to an end. Let me just say something. Before you get too hard on Judas, if you know his story, stay with me through the story. Because there's a lot of Judas in all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Because see, whenever you have a shadow mission for following Jesus, there's something you want, there's something you covet, there's something you want God to give you or bring to you or make happen for you, it always presents a problem. Because just like for Judas, God doesn't move fast enough for you. God wasn't changing things as quickly. Jesus wasn't making things happen as quickly as he wanted to happen. And then Judas saw Jesus invite this tax collector called Matthew who was a traitor and he named him as one of his disciples. And then he watched Jesus heal this Roman centurion slave. And he's like, how can you do this? These people are our enemies. We're supposed to be overthrowing them. And in Judas's mind, this is not having the payoff, following Jesus, it's not fulfilling my mission. Judas didn't know this, but it was his shadow mission. And we all have one, we all have a shadow mission. It's why there's a little Judas in all of us. There's something in us that we follow Jesus and all the time we're following Jesus is we're trying to get God to do something for us. We're trying to get God to do our thing. We're trying to get God to accomplish our will. In fact, that's why most of us started following Jesus in the first place. But at some point in time in your Jesus journey, what's going to happen is your shadow mission is going to conflict with his will for your life. And I'm telling you, when your shadow mission hits up against God's true mission for your life, there is a tension between what he wants for my life and what I want for my life. And when that conflict comes, what do you do? I'll tell you what most of us do. Most of us were tempted to walk away. And that's the crossroad that Judas found himself at. In fact, there was this incident that happened in this town called Bethany. And it brought everything to a head. It was was where the train wreck happened for Judas between his shadow mission and God's true mission. And this is where we all find ourselves at some point in our life. And this is where we need to lean in and we need to learn. Here's what happens. Matthew chapter 26. Don't want you to miss this. This is a powerful story. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. I want everybody, if you're taking notes, to write down this word indignant. We're going to come back to it in just a moment because here's what's happened. This woman comes walking in, Jesus and Simon, this guy who he healed of leprosy, they're reclining in this table. They're having this wonderful meal. She opens this jar of very expensive perfume. She dumps it on Jesus. The disciples are watching what's going on and they're thinking, what's happening? What is this woman thinking? Why would she do this? Like, what's wrong with you, lady? Lady. And so they speak up and and there was really one that was a spokesman, we're gonna see that in just a moment. And this is what they say, why this waste, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. They were indignant. Let me just say this to you. One of the greatest signs that you're living out your shadow mission or that you're living in your shadow mission is you find yourself indignant. You, something in your mind is so wrong. It's just, and you start coming up with these incredible excuses. And you even get people to join your team as you see and, and, and gather around your mindset. And you say, how do you know that? Because see, Matthew's not the only one that records this story. See, I think there was two guys that understood, wow, our shadow missions, they they really could sabotage us and people need to hear this. In fact, John, he writes about this, but he gives us in his account a little detail that is so important that you can miss if you don't go there. So here's what John says in John chapter 12, beginning verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. And let me just go ahead and say this. Let me just say this. If you are leading anyone who has a shadow mission, if you're being led by anyone who has a shadow mission, and you wonder why you got betrayed, it was because they had a shadow mission. See, when somebody has a shadow mission and their mission, their shadow mission, collides with God's mission for their life or for his kingdom. They will throw anybody under the bus around them to fulfill their shadow mission and they will cloak it with kingdom language. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So here's the thing. See, all the disciples didn't initially say that. In, in Matthew's account, it says all the disciples started talking about this. But basically what happened is when Judas, he saw this woman and what she did, he looks over at Andrew and says, can you believe this? Like, can you believe what she's doing? This is such a waste. And then she looks over at Thomas and he, or he looks over at Thomas and he goes, like, she could have helped a dozen poor people. Like he's cloaking this all in spiritual language. This is how people with shadow missions do. They go around and they rally people to their point of view, to their, Oh, this is such a waste, how dare she? See, Judas stirs up this controversy in the disciples and he's speaking all, he's cloaking it in all this spiritual language and all these disciples start buying in on this till Matthew says, hey, we all, we all got on this. And we were so opposed and Matthew was honest enough to go in his story and John as well going, Jesus called us out on it. But we all got drawn into this shadow mission but John, he's even honest enough to go, but really Judas, he didn't really care about the poor. He had a shadow mission, he had ulterior motives. Notice the next verse. He did not say this because he cared about the poor because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So like when Jesus invited Judas to follow him, Judas like he volunteers to be the treasure because one day when Jesus takes over and he overthrows the Roman occupation, guess what? He will be the guy in charge and it will make him wealthy. I mean, after all, Judas's excuse probably to Jesus was, hey, we can't really trust Matthew. He was a tax collector. So like whenever people donate money to Jesus so that his disciples and them could have food, place to stay, help the poor, you know, whenever they did that, whatever their ministry expenses were, like Judas, you know, he would just kind of take him a little bit off the top. And he's going, this was worth a a year's wages. Oh, that could have been really good, very lucrative. We could even started putting this in, in our little fund that we have to overthrow the Roman government. Now you gotta be a pretty bold person to steal from Jesus. But here's the thing you have to understand about a shadow mission. Your shadow mission, you might wanna write this down. Your shadow mission is your God-given mission hijacked by your ego and your wounds. Your shadow mission is your God-given mission that is hijacked by your ego and your wounds. And what has happened is God's mission for Judas to follow him has gotten hijacked by his ego and his wounds and he doesn't even realize it. That is why his personal agenda was so strong that even though he was following Jesus, he was a Jesus consumer, which means he would take any path necessary that would bring him personal gain, no matter who he had to throw under the bus. Notice what happens next, aware of this. Jesus is aware of your shadow mission. Jesus is aware of my shadow mission. He was aware of Judas's and Jesus invites us to follow him anyhow. That's the incredible thing about Jesus, isn't it? Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured perfume on my or when she poured perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. And he's what he's reminding them: this is my true mission. You guys have got locked into a shadow mission. And I'm sure Peter's sitting there rolling his eyes again, saying, Jesus, this doesn't help your, you know, your campaign to overthrow the Romans and to get people on your side, talking about all this pain and suffering. This is not helping morale at all. Like Jesus, what you need to do is you need to talk about the promise and the payoff. But Jesus says, no, 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 this is so significant. In fact, he is so significant, he makes this promise. And he's doing this to remind all of us for for centuries later that your shadow mission will wreck your life. It will self-sabotage you. He says, truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In other words, like you guys are criticizing her because you have a shadow mission. But what she's doing is so valuable. It will be celebrated for the rest of history. And here we are 2,000 years later. And what are we doing? We're part of the fulfillment of that promise. Now here's, watch what happens next. Then, man, if you're taking notes, circle this word then. Then one of the 12, because here's the thing. Every person who's living out a shadow mission has that then moment. They follow Jesus until there is this moment. They'll lock themselves into a church or a parachurch organization. They'll follow a leader. They'll get involved with someone or something that's doing the work of God until there is this moment. And in the background, they're always frustrated and they're aggravated because this organization, this church, this leader is not letting, you know, getting getting me to where I want him to go. But then there's this moment. There's this defining moment in every one of us where we go, I'll do whatever it takes to fulfill my shadow mission. Then when Judas saw this about Jesus, he's going, Jesus isn't moving fast enough. The one called Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priest and he asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? Now you gotta understand, They didn't need Judas to find Jesus because they knew where where Jesus was. He had a big crowd around him, right? All they needed was Judas's help because if they had tried to arrest him when he was with a crowd, they would have been mobbed. They just needed help from Judas to find Jesus when he's away from the crowd. So Judas is now saying, okay, it's not working for me anymore. Jesus is not giving me what I want. Jesus is moving too slowly for me. And then is always the final straw with a person with a shadow mission. And they'll tell everybody all these spiritual things. They'll cloak it in this. Well, this church is just not doing anything for me anymore. Or this leader's just not letting me lead at the level I want to anymore. Or this, this organization, they've got off mission. I mean, they'll cloak it in so many things. They'll draw so many people into it. But in all reality, they're living out their shadow mission. And it's not paying off the way they thought it would. And he says, so I'll tell you. He's going, I'm going to leverage Jesus. I'm going to tell you when he's isolated. So then it says, so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And when you stop and think about that, why would Judas do this? Like, what was Judas thinking? Like, Judas was on the boat when the other disciples were in the middle of the lake, and this storm was so severe that they they thought they were going to drown, and Jesus, he speaks to the weather, and he stops the storm. Or he saw Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus. I mean, the family says, Jesus, he's so dead, he stinketh, don't even mess with it. And he watched this dead man walk out of a grave. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He watched him walk on water. He was there when he read, Nic- when Jesus read Nicodemus' mind and answered his question even before he asked. I mean, he was all there. So like, why did he think that he had the power to hand over the Messiah, the son of God? I mean, it's so absurd. But here's the thing. When you are living in your shadow mission, you think you can manipulate the hand of God. We we believe that we can treat God like he is someone that can be manipulated. We think that we can outmaneuver him and we think that we can outsmart him. We act as if we can force his hand and get him to do what we want him to do and, and we choose our will above his. And that's what a shadow mission will do to you every time. It will cause you to force the hand of God. But here's the thing we need to understand. God's purposes will prevail, his plans cannot fail. Like, like you think that you're behind the scenes, you're making this happen. You've got all these groups of people around you now affirming you because you're using all this churchy language and you're holding on tightly to your agenda and you're going to win. And you think, okay, if I do it Jesus way or God's blocking me right now, it's going to cost me too much. The price is going to be too high. And so you choose your own path and, and you're using all kind of terminology. And here is the sad part. We're going to see this in Judas's life. We can deceive ourselves to we believe that we are hearing from God. And what we're saying, we'll even tell people, God told me this. God is opening these doors. God is doing all of this. And here's the thing you need to understand. God will give you the freedom to make all those choices, but it will not force his hand or stop his will. And that's what Judas learned the hard way. See, over the years, people speculated like why Judas would betray Jesus. But one of the most common beliefs is, is that he thought because of his shadow mission, he's like, I've got to do something to make Jesus rise up and show that he is powerful, show that he is God. And so, he thought that having Jesus arrested, it would force Jesus to rise up and come out as the Messiah and to overthrow the Roman government once they arrested him. In other words, he would force God's hand for his own benefit. Like he was gonna back Jesus in this corner so that he could show his power and do what all the Jewish people wanted Jesus to do. But that's not what happened, is it? As you know, the religious leaders, they handed Jesus over to Pilate so the Romans could execute him. And then when that happened, Judas... He he realized his plan had gone terribly wrong. Look at this. When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, don't miss this. You get betrayed, I get betrayed. In church, we get betrayed a lot more than we think we should. You know why? Because most of us have not moved from following Jesus as consumers with a shadow mission to being a surrendered follower of Jesus. And when you have a shadow mission, you'll betray anything or anyone who gets in your way and you'll use spiritual language to cover it up and you'll believe yourself. That's the sad part. When Judas who betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. Notice what he says next. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, I replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went out and he hanged himself." Now, here's what's interesting about this. Jesus knew, but he chose not to stop Judas. He, he gave him the freedom to live in his shadow mission. But here's the thing you have to understand. Jesus will give you the freedom to live in your shadow mission. He will not stop you from that. But you need to understand, Judas didn't stop Jesus' plan either. I mean, Jesus took Judas' rebellion, and he used it to play a role in salvation, in your salvation, in my salvation, as Jesus died, and he rose again from the dead. Because here's the thing, God is bigger than us, and God is bigger than anybody else's shadow mission. And I can stand before you telling you that with full confidence because over the last 27 years of being being a pastor, I have been betrayed by people more than you could ever imagine. In fact, this week I took a gut punch that just about took the wind out of my sail. I could not believe the betrayal that I experienced. And I was so glad I was preaching this sermon because it reminded me. That God is bigger than any of us. He knows better than any of us. His hand cannot be forced, His will cannot be stopped. And let me say this when you're living out a shadow mission, God will allow you to live in that, and you ultimately will self sabotage all the time, blaming all the people around you for that. Judas hanged himself, not Jesus. See, when you're living out this, I'm going to follow Jesus as a consumer. See, the other thing is, another way that you know that you're living in your shadow mission is there's this position that you think you need to have in your family, this position that you need to have in your company, this position that you need to have on this board in this parachurch organization, this position that you need to have in this church. And it's all about this position. See, Judas was all about his position. He's going to be the treasure. He's going to control everything because then when Jesus takes over, then he has the control that he wants to have because he's going to have the money and he who has, the golden rule. He who has the gold does what makes the rules, right? That, That was Judas's mind. See, God will let you live out your shadow mission, but the reality is. It makes you very positional and you, and you want a position, you covet a position, you try to hold on to a position. And all the time, God's saying, no, that's not my plan at all. That's not my plan at all. But see the people around you have bought into your shadow mission, here's why. Do you know why they buy into your shadow mission? Because they have a shadow mission. And if I let you live out your shadow mission, then you'll help me fuel my shadow mission. It's why the church is as sick as it is today. Because we are funding and fueling our shadow missions with each other from an emotional perspective. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, here's what it means. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Which is why most of us start out following Jesus in the first place. We start following Jesus as a consumer with our plans and our goals and our dreams about what God is going to do in and through me and and what I want. But along the way, Our shadow mission collides with God's true mission. Our plans crash into his and we realize that following Jesus is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us our dreams, our goals, our plans, that position, that that place that I thought I was going to have in the kingdom work of God, in my family, in my organization, in my business. And at that point, we have to decide, am I gonna hold on tightly to my shadow mission and try to force God's hand in his will? Or will I let go and I follow him? And let me just go ahead and say something. If you can't say in one sentence what your shadow mission is, you're probably living in it and you don't know it. I fight my shadow mission every day I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Enneagrams are get out of my way or get run over. You know what my shadow mission is? My shadow mission is bigger, better, faster. I had a counselor about 15 years ago help me determine what my shadow mission. So every day I get up and say, God, you know, you know, as it ate on the Instagram, I have this deadly sin and it's the sin of lust. And my lust is not for people of the opposite sex or people of the same sex. It's the lust for intensity, bigger, better, faster. My wife will tell you, my kids will tell you everything I've done in my life. At the beginning, before I got a hold of my shadow mission, it was, we're gonna do it bigger, we're gonna do it better, and we're gonna do it faster than anybody else. My friend, Dan Yoder, who is one of the foundation guys, um, is sitting in the service right now. He was with me for 25 years in ministry. And Dan will tell you that my shadow mission almost sabotaged me, but he was faithful to stay by me. Thank you, Dan. Listen, dying to your shadow mission, it's always gonna be painful. True obedience and surrender to Jesus Christ, it's gonna cause you to die to yourself. In fact, the middle word of the word obedience is the word die. Write it out sometime and you'll see it. You have to die to yourself. There's always going to be a price to pay for growth in Jesus Christ, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's going to be a defining moment in your life because in that moment, when you realize that you have a shadow mission that is sabotaging you and it's not your leader, it's not your spouse, it's not your parents, it's not your teacher, it's not your boss, it's not your friends, it's not your co-workers. It is you. You are the Judas with a shadow mission. In that moment, you will find freedom to follow Jesus and he'll do amazing To through your life that you never, ever imagined before in your whole life. Because see, at that point, you'll discover whose you are and who you really are. And I'm telling you, that decision, when you identify your shadow mission, and if you have not identified it, you are probably living in it. When you identify that, you have the opportunity to die to it, to destroy it, and daily die to it. It's why the Apostle Paul said, I beat my body into subjection daily. After, because after I've preached to others, I too myself can become a castaway. Because he knew that he too could fall in his shadow mission. Listen, there has to be this moment in time in your life where you move from being a consumer follower of Jesus with a shadow mission And the way you know you're living your shadow mission, you haven't identified it and you stay indignant all the time. You always have these worthy causes that you're mad at the church about or you're mad at other Christians about or you're mad at the world about. But you gotta be willing to surrender everything. Fall on your face before God and say, God, today I surrender, I surrender. So what does that look like? It looks like this, it's saying to God, God, I want what you want more than what I want. Literally, I got, I've got my plans, I've got my agenda, I've got my will, I have this shadow mission, but I'm not gonna try to force your hand. God, when my shadow mission collides with your will, God, I want what you want more than what I want. And I'm telling you folks, I know this. I have fought this for 15, 20 years of my life. It is so hard to do, to die to our shadow mission. It is hard because when you die to your shadow mission, it feels like the death of a dream. It feels like you're losing something that is part of your identity. It's it's like, it feels like you're losing something that you hope to be. And that loss, I'm telling you folks, it creates pain but you know you're living in your shadow mission when you have something to prove or you have something to lose, or you have something to hide. See, when you have surrendered to Jesus, you have nothing to prove. It's whatever you want me to do, God. You, you have nothing to lose, God. It's all about you and you have nothing to hide. You don't have to cloak it in spiritual terminology. So I'm just gonna tell you when your shadow mission collides with Jesus, there's gonna be this temptation. It's gonna be this temptation to do your own thing continually, because that's how blind we are, our shadow mission. So how does it look like lived out in our life? How do we live this out every day? This is what you need to pray every day. Here's what you need to pray. Father, I want to want what you want more than what I want. And sometimes you just gotta be honest, like I am with God and go, God, I don't want it yet, but I wish I did. I I don't want it yet, but I I would like to want it. God, I, I don't want it yet, but I know it's going to be best for me. So God, I want to want what you want more than what I want. I just want to wholeheartedly follow you. So help me to want what you want more than what I want. And in those moments of those prayers, you're gonna be tempted to walk away and quit following, but I'm telling you, that's what you need to pray. And your shadow mission is gonna be in the back of your head, manipulating you and saying, oh no, don't do that. But please don't miss this. Jesus didn't stop Judas from living in his shadow mission and he won't stop you either. But Judas didn't stop Jesus in his mission. Listen, Jesus is going to give you the most, the freedom to make whatever choice you want. And I'm telling you folks, I'm telling you, I'm telling you at all of our churches, that should scare you to death. Because it means you could miss it all. Simply because you want what you want more than you want what Jesus wants for you. Listen, here's what I discovered. Whatever position or path I ever dreamed of, it never became the position or path that I dreamed of. I never dreamed of being a pastor of a multi-site church. I never, I mean, my wife will tell you, that was not my dream. It's not my plan, not my path. God will strip away every dream that you have, every hope that you ever have, so that you don't, when you totally, totally, totally surrender to him, so you have none of you and it's all of him. Please understand this, folks. God's purpose will prevail. His plan cannot fail. But the question is, will you cooperate with him in his plan? Because it's so much better if we choose to obey and follow. So I'm just challenging you as a church, identify your shadow mission. Because if you don't, you will self-sabotage and you'll blame everybody else. And you'll go down in flames using Jesus' language and blaming everybody else. And really, you're the Judas that hung yourself. So you need to pray daily, moment by moment. Father, I want, I want to want what you want more than what I want. Because I'm telling you, following Jesus will cost you everything. But not following Jesus and living out your shadow mission... It's going to cost you a whole lot more. You will self-sabotage and blame God and everybody around you when you hang yourself. Will you pray for me or with me? Heavenly Father, I need this congregation to pray for me about this as well because we all live in it every day. God, I, I, you, you know the battle that I have been through daily with this. But God, you know, even the greater battle that's in front of people who are now just gonna be identifying this. I, I just pray that there will just be this true surrender beyond anything that any of us have ever experienced before you as we fall on our faces and we truly die to ourselves and say, Jesus, it's no longer about a position. It's no longer about a hope. It's no longer about a dream. It's no longer about making a point. It's about dying to self and following you. It's about your kingdom. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you next week.